Welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, I was solo one more time uh, without my partner, Andrew Maynard, but I went ahead and braved the brave fight, and I had the pleasure of sitting with Mike Tamor, who is by doctoral preparation, a physicist, and he spent his career at the Ford Scientific Research Laboratory, where he worked on a lot of research in hybrid electrical vehicle and fuel cell systems. And he's at ASU right now to talk about energy transitions and energy systems broadly. And that's where our conversation went. It was really interesting and very, very much grounded in the realities of policy and of economics and of investment and of how we really need to think about and understand the whole energy system because it all fits together. So before we get there, as always, thank you for joining us on the Future Out Loud podcast. You can find previous Future Out Loud episodes on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever you find your fine podcasts. You can also find us on our website, futureoutloud.org. And on Twitter and Facebook, you can find us at Future Out Loud. So if you're not already subscribed to the podcast, go ahead and subscribe. And if you would care to rate us on iTunes, we would really appreciate it. And if your friends are not already listening to Future Out Loud, would you tell them about us? Because we would love to be able to reach them and to have you reach back to us and tell us what you think and who should we be talking to and what are some of the ta- the uh, the topics you might like us to tackle. So without further ado, once again, thank you. And on with Mike Taylor more to talk about energy systems. Actually, it's a good thing I, I'm really tired and my throat's a little hoarse because then my voice comes down a half an octave and it sounds me much better. Me so, too, me too. I, have to I worry always about sound that too. squeaky on recordings. Oh, so. I can't imagine that. I know I sound squeaky, but one of the things that I've learned is that listening to yourself on a recording is... Very bad. It's terrible. It's one of the most brutal things. Yes. All right. Very good. Hi, Mike. Morning. Thank you very much for being here. I'm excited to talk with you about energy transitions and energy systems. Um, This is something that we've talked about on the podcast before Mm -hmm. uh, with our mutual friend Clark Miller, notably, and you've been doing work in this area for a long time, uh, starting in the transportation industry, but now that you are retired from that? Yes, I retired last December. Ah, congratulations. So you should be busier than ever based on the pattern of people who retire, yeah? (laughs) Yes and no. Yes and no. I'm having more more fun. Oh, excellent. Well, hopefully your visit here to ASU is on the fun, falls into the fun column. Um, And we at least have nice weather for you. Mm -hmm. 
so you we chatted a little bit earlier and you said when we talk about energy transitions you know so many different sources of energy go into our energy system writ large but we often or policymakers, business people will think about one sector, one segment of the energy system, but that's really a mistake. Is that getting at the idea? Yes. Um, I mean, a very simple way to start thinking about it is that for 100 years or more, um, things that move, well, less than 100 years, say since the end of the coal-fired railroad locomotive in probably the 1930s or so. Mm-hmm. Um, things that move have been powered by oil, mm-hmm. and things that don't move have been powered by a variety of energy sources, but they were dominated by coal, then more recently by natural gas, mm-hmm. and only more, and there's a little bit of hydropower, and more recently, you know, nuclear power, mm-hmm. and then even more recently than that, renewable energy in the form of wind and solar, but they're mm-hmm. still rather small. But those two energy economies don't connect to each other. Okay. There is a very small number of electric vehicles and a small number of natural gas vehicles, and a little bit of electricity is generated from oil, usually under urgent circumstances. Okay. Uh, but those two energy economies don't speak to each other. But if your goal is to really reduce dramatically or actually even eliminate the greenhouse gas footprint Uh of our complete energy economy, you have to think about how those two interact um, in two ways. One is, are you going to want to move energy from one sector to another? And the other is... um, you'd like to be able to spend your money as intelligently as possible. Of course. Which means that you might want to make dramatic changes in one sector before you embark on dramatic changes in another. Okay. So you really have to treat the system as a whole so that you can make comparisons um, and understand linkages. For Mm -hmm. example, if I hugely increase the number of electric vehicles, that electricity has to come from someplace. Yes. it's easy to say that the electric grid is becoming gradually cleaner even without the clean power plan because of mm-hmm. the falling costs of wind and solar yes. and because of the low price of natural gas. But the electric system can only change so fast. Yes. And if a lot of new load appears in the mm-hmm. form of electric vehicles, the consequence is going to be keeping an old coal fire power plant running where sure. you otherwise would have shut it down. Okay. <clears throat> so the argument is that on the margin, mm-hmm. you switch from a gasoline-powered car to a coal-powered car, mm-hmm. which has not done anybody any good. Right, right. So you have to pay a lot of attention to how these transitions couple together. Okay. So are you seeing examples of where that's starting to happen or beginning to work? In the United States, if we want to bound it that way? Um, that's a tough one. Not on any large scale. There okay. are a lot of um, organizations or cities who are thinking in terms of identifying sections of their economy and mm-hmm. saying, I wish to reduce the carbon footprint right. in an honest way right. of this piece. And they will 
build and dedicate, say, a solar uh, farm okay. to powering that piece of their economy. And I believe that's even being done on campus here. Yeah, we have a lot of specific buildings yeah. um, to which um, specific output from solar farms, either rooftop or off campus, yes. is dedicated, at least by accounting, Yes. to that building. Yes. So there's a lot of effort in that direction, but you know, the a city has no control over what vehicles go in and out of the city. A city has no control mm-hmm. over how the fuel in the gas stations was made. Right. Right. So you you really unfortunately you have to work at a national or global scale to mm-hmm. really have an effect. Okay. So in yeah. order to enable municipal uh, efforts to work, we need state policy to support that. And in order to enable state policy to work, we need federal policy to support that. And even bigger, we need shared global understanding and goals and sort of sight lines to those goals in order to make national level policy work. Is that what you're saying? If you're a large economy, Mm-hmm. Um, national policy is probably enough to do a lot of what you want to do. Okay. Um, because compared to the size of the economy within the nation, mm-hmm. imports and exports, as big as they are, are actually a small fraction. Yeah. So um, you know, it, it will create a bookkeeping problem, and that's a problem people argue about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a fraction of the total economy, mm-hmm. where at a city level, 95% of the energy or materials that are used in that city have moved across the border. Right. On a national level, mm-hmm. that might be 5%. Okay, I see. <laughs> so I see. you really have much more, the larger the scale you go to, the more control you have. Okay. So at the national level, at least for the US or China or the European Union, you can do a lot. Okay. So here in Arizona, we do have renewable energy targets um, that have been set up by, mm-hmm. you know, the Corporation Commission and State in Arizona Revised Statute, etc. And there is a proposal to raise those targets for the amount of energy that is produced by renewable energy. And there's mm-hmm. a, a ballot proposition that is in in the works in the works um that's something that we're very aggressive with in arizona is citizen-led ballot propositions which is great uh uh there are people who don't think it's great but i think it's great um so but when we think about energy as a system and when we think about the need to move sources of energy um, across systems and across Boundaries, and we think about state boundaries, then maybe the state level initiatives really need the underpinning of a federal initiative in order to be successful. Is that yeah. well, what you're I getting have, at? Okay, I don't know anything about what Arizona is trying to do. Sure, the one thing fine. I know is Arizona gets a lot of sunlight. So. True, true. <laughs> um, Indisputable. <laughs> yeah. um, but you also have to be a little bit careful and it's very natural that people think the part of the energy sector or the energy issue that they're worried about mm-hmm. is by far the most important sure. and if you just solve that problem 
you'll be 80% or something done sure. with the problem. But if you think in terms of the CO2 footprint of human mm -hmm. activities, mm -hmm. um, it breaks up into roughly three equal pieces. Okay. Um, it depends on where you are, uh, what country you're in, what part of what country you're in, but just as a very simple way of thinking, about a third of the CO2 comes from transportation. Wow. About a third comes from electricity. Okay. And about a third comes from all the other stuff that people do. Heating, cooking, keeping buildings warm, okay. melting glass, just okay. you know, industrial heat, space heat, Okay. warming water for various purposes, okay. just that. You know, it's a long list of okay. activities. You'd okay. never be able to make a complete list. Um, but it just involves burning stuff. Burning for, stuff. For some purpose. Okay. okay. Um, but when people talk about energy or clean energy, the only they generally are only talking about electricity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we could make a lot of progress on reducing the CO2 footprint of our electricity. Yes. Um, but we have much more to do than that because okay. our goal isn't such a small reduction to, to really achieve the the global warming goals that um, you know, so many people haven't agreed to, but yes. sort of the, the goal that is most talked about to try to limit you know, the average temperature rise for the entire world to less than 2 degrees two centigrade, degrees. or in Paris, 1.5 degrees was discussed. To achieve right. a goal like that requires much bigger reductions, 80%, 90% okay. reductions. Um, you have to work on all of the sectors. All three and, of those major sectors. Yes, and the, and the other element that is often forgotten in this discussion is mm. the time scale. Okay. Um, we're talking about achieving a large part of those reductions uh, within the next 30 to 40 years. Which right. seems right. like a whole long time now, but, but it yes, creeps it's, up. It's but, but here's a very simple way to think about it. Okay. Um, we're not talking about local issues. We're talking about massive industrial mm -hmm, issues, mm -hmm. you know, rebuilding of an energy economy. Yes. That means big capital investments, power plants, and yes. transmission systems, and new types of chemical refineries and things yes. like that. When businesses build those, they, is, they have to borrow money. Yes. And they have to pay interest on that money. Mm -hmm. And then they have to earn a profit in order right. to pay off all of those loans and have some money left to run the business. Right. So typically, uh, a large capital project like that will be designed and financed for an operating life of 40 years. Okay. And often would have a relicensing option for another 20 to 40. Okay. okay. There are power plants running in this country that have been modernized several times that are 60 years old. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We have nuclear power plants that are almost that old. Okay. And they're, they're not unsafe. They've been well cared sure, for, sure. but for the financial math to work, these yes. things have to run for a long time. Yes. Now, for example, mm -hmm. um, we're talking about reducing, you know, moving to clean energy by switching from coal to natural gas power. Okay. So I build a new natural gas power plant, and mm -hmm. it reduces my CO2 from electricity by 50%. Mm -hmm. Over the next few years, that looks like a great achievement. Mm -hmm. However, that 50% reduction is not enough yes. in another 
20 years, okay. Okay, or even less than that, 15 years. If mm -hmm. my goal is really this dramatic reduction in the next 40 years, right. it might be 20 years. Mm -hmm. But that means I financed a project assuming I'd be able to run it for 40 years right. and then discover I can only run it for 20. Yeah. So I have to make my decisions today based on not where I am today or in the mm -hmm. near future. I mm -hmm. have to base those decisions on where I need to be 30 or 40 years from now. Gotcha. And that means I need to know what my fuel costs are mm -hmm. and where it comes from, mm -hmm. what my customers are going to need, mm -hmm. and what the regulations are going to be then. Right, okay. yes. So that's why it's very important to have a simple national mandate Yes. Otherwise, the people who make these investments will do nothing. Right, right. And mm -hmm. that's the worst outcome of all. So I was talking with uh, a, a close advisor in the uh, natural gas industry who was sharing with me that one of the biggest challenges in the natural gas industry is the surfeit of regulations that are you know, cobbled together uh, without a big plan. Mm -hmm. So the natural gas industry, in order to innovate in the natural gas industry, it's awfully challenging. And uh, because there are so many regulations that don't fit together and don't make sense. Um, is that... Uh, and, and there's, of course, been discussion of regulations in the last year or so, and mm -hmm. this effort at the federal level to get rid of regulations, um, which I think that if we framed it as reevaluating all of the federal regulations that exist in every industry and understanding what is helpful and what is hamstringing, you know, movement forward and revising and simplifying that could be a benefit but that's a very long way to ask you know is the federal regulatory cobbled system a, a an impediment to meaningful energy transitions um, in many ways yes but it's okay. for reasons that are very understandable sure um, the, just like where everyone thinks the problem they are working on is the most important problem, mm -hmm. we tend to regulate by activity yeah. because it's only possible to be an expert in a few areas sure. of activity. So you end up with what you call um, chimneys mm -hmm. of regulation. Okay. Uh, and that's inevitable. You need the mm -hmm. expertise, you need the information. Mm -hmm. um, also, you know, the re regulation tends to be reactive. It okay. tends to be about preventing behaviors. It's mm -hmm. very rarely about achieving an outcome. Inter okay, yes, okay. yes, exactly. Okay. That's been, okay. my, that's been right. my experience in healthcare as well. Right, uh, but it's all very understandable. The other mm -hmm. thing is, and this is, it sort of sounds insulting, but it's very understandable. Mm -hmm. um, regulators will generally want to regulate what they can count easily. Yes, yes. And that's also very understandable sure. because they need to show that they actually did what they said they were going to do. Sure. And you don't want to say you're going to do something that's almost impossible to prove. Absolutely. So we regulate process, not outcome. Based on well, process. Or regulate behavior and we mm -hmm. mandate technologies because yeah. that's the other way to do it is to have things that you count. 
uh-huh. right? Yes. Is you can you know you can count the amount of some material that got used, or mm-hmm. you can count the number in this interesting example of electric vehicles. Yes. Yes. That doesn't tell you anything about how the electric vehicles were used. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. So one of the big problems we have is is we we have a situation where we want to do more than regulate behavior. Mm-hmm. We actually need to regulate to an outcome yes. that achieves these um, environmental goals, whether it's a toxic pollutant mm-hmm. or a um, or a reducing you know, gases, yes. the emission of gases that result in global warming. Right. So there are, there are a lot of places where the regulations don't help yes. um, or are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, in the natural gas case, I really wouldn't worry about it very much. Where they are now has resulted in a a lot of very cheap natural gas. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are going to have to stop using natural gas completely in another 40 or 50 years. We'll have to be, natural gas will be the last fossil fuel we use, but we will stop using fossil fuels if we are, we must stop using fossil fuels to Mm -hmm. achieve the goals we've all been talking about. Indeed. That doesn't make life unbearable or. Right. To the, the the cost does not of that does not have to be very high, mm-hmm. which is one of the other misunderstandings around the whole global warming yes. debate. Um, I think the industry that is most paralyzed by regulation mm-hmm. in the case that we're talking about is um, the electricity industry, okay. which is very highly fragmented. And, um, and the the joke was that I heard at a conference for utilities is mm-hmm. that the electric industry is the only business where you write your annual report at the beginning of the year instead of the end of the year. Okay. Because your rate commission and your regulatory mm-hmm. commissions mm-hmm. have all told you how much you can spend on capital, how much you can spend on maintenance, how much you can charge for the electricity and what your profit's going to be. Right, right. At the beginning of the year. At the beginning, right. yes. So they're, they're small businesses, they overlap in strange ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they can't build the big systems that are going to be required mm-hmm. in order to have the more integrated energy system, right. which is going to be very heavily dependent on electricity, <coughs> Yes, you know, that we're going to need. So, so I view that as the, the biggest problem. Okay. I'm not going to worry about the regulation of an industry that we have to take away. It's like, that, okay, like very coal mine safety. Yeah. Why would I worry about coal mine safety if right. we're not going to mine coal? Right. Of right. course, we need yeah. to make sure that we're taking care of the human beings who are engaged in coal mining today. Yes. Yes. That's a, a much larger, uh, you know, national, uh, right, or national policy. Yes. Argument yes. is, um, you know, we, we talk about, you know, pure capitalism mm-hmm. and everybody's, you know, on their own. But then we it, that results in decisions that leave people stranded. Yes. And yes. the question is, do do we just just you can leave capital stranded too? This natural gas power plant I was talking about is a stranded capital. Yes. Right? Yes. You can, but the people who are producing that natural gas are stranded human capital. That's right. We need right? to not strand our human capital. Right. So we have to think about ways to help people find new. Mm-hmm useful things to do yeah. and not put together incentives for them to sit and wait, which That's is right. a lot of the problem that we have now. It's, it's just a way to breed resentment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing a lot of resentment right now. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the phrase was that, you know, the 
one of the good things about American capitalism until fairly recently is mm -hmm. that it was labor mobility. Yes. We were very proud that people would move from one part of the country to another mm -hmm. to go where the jobs are. That's right. And that resulted in a certain amount of prosperity relative to countries with very significant safety nets, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. would allow people to just stay where they are. Sure. But if we put together a system that makes it difficult to move at the same time as we make the jobs move, yes, um, we're, we're just not helping anybody. That's exactly right. <laughs> right. So it, that's another element to think about. But the good news is that these growing industries around renewable energy need a lot of people. They sure do. And uh, there are now... Is it double the jobs in solar? Solar and in wind together are... 10 times the jobs in coal, oil, and natural gas, if I remember the number. 10x? It's, it's, wow. It's, it's um, I'm trying to remember the comparators. There's, you can get it 10 times or you can get a comparable, uh -huh, uh -huh. Uh, depending on what you include and don't include. Sure. But um, the, the, the very simple comparison was is there are now about 300,000 people with you know, decent full-time jobs in wind and solar. Wow. And there are, what was the number? The, the employment in the entire coal industry was 55,000 or something like that. Wow. That's I don't remember. Don't hold me yeah. to the exact numbers. But um, ish. You know, you know, but oil yeah. and gas employ a lot of people. So maybe mm -hmm. together all the fossil fuel is roughly equal to all the renewables. Okay. But which is growing and which is shrinking. Absolutely. Right. So skate to where the puck is going to be. Right. But we yeah. have to help people do that. Right. And there's a lot of places where, you know, in terms of education and helping mm -hmm. people move instead of helping them stay. Yes. Um, retraining that we don't do, that we, that would be really extremely cost effective. That, that's Absolutely. not my expertise, though. Mind well, you. but that's something that we do yeah. here at the university. And, right. you know, um, Michael Crow, our president, was just speaking yeah. at a conference that American Enterprise Institute sponsored. Mm -hmm. um, he talked about post-12th post grade education. Right. We should really be thinking about a, a, an opportunity for lifelong learning for every American. And lifelong learning can include a four-year university, a community college, job training, right. job retraining, mid-career kinds of things. Um, yeah, right. we, we ought to stop maybe segmenting and sort of this is the linear approach. Right, and we probably don't properly respect the knowledge and skill level that goes into jobs that we call unskilled. Absolutely. You, know, the, yeah. you probably have to know an awful lot of interesting stuff to have a safe, productive day in a coal mine. Absolutely. And so these people That's are right. not, you know, limited. You know, these pe these robots. are highly skilled you know, workers. They, they, we, but yeah. we have to view people who do that type of work as skilled, and those but skills can be learned. It's, yes. So when we say continuing education, we're not saying why don't they get a master's degree in sociology right okay we're saying you're not stupid that's right you've done something complicated and dangerous for your entire life we will help you learn something else that's complicated and yeah. dangerous like 
repairing wind turbines. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. How can we leverage the expertise that you have? And I think you make a really good point. You bring up a good point that we miss a lot in the conversations around how do we transition workers from one and or from one sector to a different sector, whether it's in energy or any other sector. Energy, of course, is huge. Uh, It's something that we really need to think about. But I think that we um, we separate the idea of workers from experts. And the reality is that workers are experts in their work. Yeah. And we really need to honor that. Right. Well, we've also wandered very far away from what I really know about. Well, um, except so, that yeah. you've spent a lot of time thinking right. about the big picture. And one right. of the things that you said to me that I think um, is striking um, is that we have to think about the whole system. Right. And when you, you know, you frame the whole system in terms of the whole energy system is transportation, electricity, and everything else. Right. But we also need to think about the human pieces of that right. system, the financial pieces of that system, and it all fits together. It's yeah. but what I, what I What I always you know, try to apply to this, though, mm-hmm. um, to kind of bring everything back to one yeah. theme yes. here, is that um, we, can, we can use this transition to um, and I use as a is an unfair word because it sounds like it's some sort of a utopian sure. dictate and that's not what I'm getting at but mm-hmm. you know, if the people who do the investing in this and the people who um, or actually could find new better employment in this yes um, really embrace it mm-hmm. okay there's a lot of room for you know a new world of you know of wealth and prosperity just from executing the transition itself absolutely so i always use the the some a variation on that sort of the quaker's motto yes is that you can do well by doing good that's right right and and this is a huge opportunity to do well by doing good yes if you in the as the renewable energy industry grows and electric vehicle industries grow if they however they're coupled together. Um, you know, the people who are growing wealthy and the people who work in those industries are going to grow in influence. Yes. And there's going to be sort of a tipping point. Mm-hmm. And the question is how far are we from that tipping point? Because there, there is a fear that it is impossible to make this transition or it will be so expensive that the economy will be destroyed and the way we live will be completely remade in a, in a way that some people might like, but a lot right. of people don't like or are not prepared for. And that's really not true. Right. Okay, there's, there are a lot of studies, and you can do some fairly simple math, and that's mm-hmm. what I do is try to mm-hmm. bring this back to fairly simple math to show that it's not free, Right. but it's not a deal breaker either. Okay. And if we, and, and the... Uh, the improvement in society at large, mm-hmm. as well as the global environmental impacts, at least in my opinion, are easily worth what in the end is a fairly modest investment. Right? Okay. If as a society 
we have a decision-making machine that approved writing the check for $8 billion to fight all these wars in mm-hmm. faraway countries. Mm-hmm. Why can't our decision-making machine write a check that's a fraction that size mm-hmm. to change our energy, to at least start the change in our energy economy? Yes. That would result in eliminating the need for getting involved in these faraway places, well, that's improving our quality of life, improving our economy, improving our moral standing in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like a bargain to me. Exactly. But again, you don't see that bargain right. unless you look at the system. That's right. So we need to yeah. look at the whole system yeah. so that we can see the math yeah. of the whole system yeah. and how it works and then decide to make that investment. Yes. Very good. Thank you very much. That's, uh, you know, just a little thing for us to do. We'll just check that off the list, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we've solved that. Um, cancer is next? That's right. Let's do cancer. Okay. Okay. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> for more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation and Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation and Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Esmeralda Parker is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.